When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher, the host of this here podcast. It's Three Swings, a podcast about baseball and about other things. Um, how's everybody doing? Should feel free to actually answer that question. Like, say it. Say it to yourself. Say it to me. I'm listening. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What a time. We are living in a time. We are living in a very, very specific time. A time when everything is changing every single day. And, I mean, I would argue that before right now it was happening also. But given that we weren't living in a global pandemic when everything flipped on on like upside down and shook out and changed in almost an instant um, to where we have none of the distractions that we had before. Um, Now the change feels faster because it has to be. Um, And that's just, that's just my opinion. But um, each day brings an onslaught of information and news and knowledge and uh, opportunity. Um, And, you know, I think, I think it's easy to be caught up in old ways right now. Um, And when I say distractions, I mean, even things like your job or (laughs) um, potential other jobs or, uh, you know, prestige or, uh, you know, accomplishment or anything. It can be these specific ideas of a promotion or uh, going to a major league baseball game or um, your fantasy league or anything, going to a movie. Like all of these things got wiped off of the the sort of plane of opportunity. <laughs> and uh, we all stopped and then kept going and also not everybody. Um, and so, you know, the levels of class and privilege and all those things, um, it, it, it has all, it has affected us differently. However, um, this sort of massive change, I mean, I personally have been thinking for quite some time that the only way we would get any amount of like massive upheaval 
of of change and justice would be a general strike <laughs> where everyone stopped working and in our modern american society i felt as though we were moving towards that but i did not think it was a possibility and what i see today on june thursday june 18th at 5:31 is a country that has essentially been in a general strike, you know, uh, an, an un, involuntary general strike for three months. Um, and within that, the people who did not strike, uh, did not, who have continued to work, have been either the poorest of the poor or the wealthiest of the wealthy. The people who are, and then the, also the people who are trying to save lives from this global pandemic. And then you have the police. And then you have the police. And the police have been shown within this current structure of a general strike, of a pandemic, to have no real substantive value in society because before when you had and I'll just speak to sort of the current the the contemporary timeline where you have the murder of Trayvon Martin the acquittal of George Zimmerman um then you cut to uh the murder of Mike Brown the Ferguson uprising and the ability of the masses, and you can look at it as the white masses, to look away and look towards professional sports and movies and TV and outdoor festivals and your job and the next job and getting a new house or buying a new couch or maybe I should get a new car or maybe a new pair of shoes will fix it. And when all of that goes away, and we do have to be in this together and we have to make choices for ourselves that hopefully help other people by not going out if you don't need to, by living at a right size, keeping your impact small, uh, wearing a mask when you go out in public. Um, we all have to get into this together. And I say this living in a place that's, quote, progressive and a large city. So that. It, I, I want to acknowledge that. Uh, and then you have, within that new world, that same old American experience of the police terrorizing, brutalizing, and murdering black people with impunity within the context of a completely a complete upheaval of american society in terms of our day-to-day -day life and yet that remains the same to me my friends that points to me that that is something that cannot be fixed or reformed or changed or talked about it means that you remove nearly every part of our quote-unquote functioning capitalist society, our day-to-day -day 
ins and outs, the things we do to move through the world in one day, you, you remove all of those things, and yet the police remain. They're not out passing out masks. They're not helping homeless people. They're arresting them. It took two months for me to see a police officer in my neighborhood. I live by a bunch of schools, and so I see a lot of cops, which is a problem. I see a police, I see a police cruiser every day. I walk my dog every day. I see, at minimum, one police cruiser in my neighborhood every day. It does not make me feel safe. I have never felt safe seeing police. And yet, I have never seen... It took two months for me to see a police officer wearing a mask. They are not help. They are hurt. That's all they exist for. And if if you're like me, you have had free time. And I have decided to put that free time towards civic engagement. And I encourage you, if you're a listener of this podcast, to also... If you are somebody who has been listening to this podcast and listening to the, the the subjects and the ideas and the concepts and the feelings that I have been talking about for nearly two years now, I encourage you, if you are saying, I don't know what to do, if you're a white person and you're saying, I don't know what to do, number one, I'm gonna I'm going to just get tough with you for a second. Everyone is telling you what to do today. Everyone has told you. You just have not been able to hear it. You just haven't. And I say this as someone who was there too. There was a time when I said, I don't know what to do. And then I started looking for the answer. And so you got to put that question out of your mind and go, what do I do? And start looking. Because you can find it very easily. And you may, at the beginning, do the easiest things. You might donate some money. You might do this. I encourage you to look for small organizations, not nationwide ones. They get endowments. They get all kinds of money. Look for the small ones. I'm going to tell you one right now. The Okra po- Project, which you can find at theokraproject.com. That's the okra. That's O-K-R-A project.com. They are a collective that seeks to address the global crisis faced by black trans people bring, by bringing home home-cooked healthy and culturally specific meals and resources to black trans people wherever we can reach them. Um, if you, do, if 18 people on this podcast can donate $5, if nine people can donate 10, if six people can donate 15, if three people can donate 30 or one super generous person can donate 90, you can help out with one session, which costs the Okra Project $90. That's chef pay and groceries. So I encourage you, if you're like, I don't know what to do, I just gave you an answer. There's one. Number two, go to the Black Lives Matter website. Read it. Engage with the different pages. Read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. Search for the Black Lives Matter Guiding Principles. Read the guiding principles. Put them into your body. Absorb them into your soul. That's what I've been doing. I know it sounds cheesy. It's real. But the more you do that, the less you will say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And the more you will build your intuition for the things that you need to do. And you, they will come to you because you've already begun to absorb what Black Lives Matter is trying to do. 
And so you won't have to ask that question. And you can be patient and the answer will come to you because you'll be seeking it instead of asking for it. And I encourage you, if you're somebody that listens to this podcast and you're unsure about the idea of defunding police in your state, in your city, in your county, and abolishing police, because that's what I just want to make it very abundantly clear that I am pro defunding police and funding resources and pro abolishing the police, abolishing the sheriff's department and abolishing prisons at this point. It's, it's not as though I was ever against any of those things. I just want to make it very clear. I spent the morning on a, a civilian oversight committee meeting uh, for the L.A. Sheriff's Department. And if you wanted to find a more corrupt and evil uh, entity than the Los Angeles Police Department, just look at the L.A. Sheriff's Department. And I have only begun to crack the surface of this, so I don't claim to be any sort of... Uh, expert at any of this, but I will tell you as a living, breathing, and thinking, and caring human being, to listen to the report of one of the commissioners of the status of our prisons in Los Angeles, um, and what is going on there, uh, it's a torture chamber, and I urge you to not only read abolitionist literature, uh, you can start with Angela Davis, um, but I encourage you to think on what it is that scares you so much about the removal of police from our daily life. Ask yourself at this point right now, out of everything that you've seen, what do you see that, that, that gives you hope that they are anything that helps anybody? I just watched a video that is from yesterday of a minimum of five sheriffs nearly crushing a man, a black man to death in Compton. That's yesterday. That's after talking about reform. That's after the White House passing some executive. It, it doesn't work. It does not work. And I, I've been talking for how many years about the changes I would like to see in baseball. And I come to you today noting, realizing it doesn't work. You have to make your own thing. You have to make your own thing. And so I support the making of a new thing. I support releasing prisoners. Most of the people that are in prison that in your mind you might believe are these hardened, awful criminals because you've watched Locked Up or uh, you watched Shawshank Redemption a million times because it's playing constantly. You have to put those concepts out of your mind. Most of the people who are incarcerated, A, have not even been convicted of a crime, and B, the crime is something that is so minimal and so inconsequential, it is tearing and has torn the fabric of our society. It is irreparable to keep human beings in cages for any reason is against nature. It's against the spirit of our existence. It's truly evil. And I cannot think of anything that a human being could do that is worth that punishment. And I do mean that. 
given the culture of the society that was built on genocide and slavery and never repaired. We have been hobbling as a society for 450 years. Hobbling to some finish line? The point is today. The point is to make that difference right now. And so while you can't make that difference out there, you can start with you. If somebody sent me one of my baseball cards, my Allen and Ginter baseball cards to sign, um, which is always like a tremendous honor when somebody wants me to do that. It's very cool and I appreciate it very much. Um, it's not something I ever thought I would get to do in my life and I think it's very cool. They asked me, A, to sign it in a blue Sharpie, which is cute, and also to sign a catchphrase. And I read that and I took a moment with it because I really wanted to think of a catchphrase that I would want to sign on somebody's baseball card that they could then like go back and look at. And for a while I was going to put like this, uh, you know, the, my, my sign off phrase from this podcast, the, uh, if you liked it, you liked it. But then I kept thinking about it and I kept wondering what I feel now and something that came to me today and who knows how dumb or silly or whatever it is. Uh, I hope it's all of the things, but I just was thinking, you know, I've had a lot of personal conversations with people. I've been trying to have my conversations private with people, corrective ones or asking people how they're doing because, um, it's like keeping it, keeping everything right sized, you know, having phone calls with people, asking them how they are really listening. Um, and I just realized like, I just want to seize the means of the day. (laughs) So that might be my sort of new mantra for this podcast, which is how can you seize the means of the day? Uh, I know a lot of people, they're trying really hard, but they're trying really hard at trying really hard. And uh, you got to let go a little bit. You got to let go of the idea that there is a right answer because perfectionism is something I didn't really understand until pretty recently. Perfectionism isn't, oh, I'm a controlling and uptight person who always gets it right or tries and tries and tries. That's a version. There's many versions of perfectionism. Perfectionism in my life looks like, well, I can't do it right, so I'm not going to do it at all. And that's all based in my own mind. How do I know I can't do it right? How do I know what's right? How do I know if there is a right? How did anybody get good at anything without trying? And so white supremacy picks up that perfectionism and it runs with it. And it tells you there's a right way to be an anti-racist and you're not doing it. So why don't you just watch TV or just give up or meh, donate to the ACLU and that's, that's all you got to do. So I challenge you as a listener to this podcast, which is about baseball, and I will talk about that in a moment. To do some contrary action when that white supremacy voice of perfection comes into your brain and says, like, that's ah, good enough, or you're not doing it right, so don't try. Say, you know what? Not today, Satan. And when you share something on Instagram, really read it. 
actually look up what Juneteenth really means. There's a lot of people talking about it right now, and they're not really sharing what the reality of Juneteenth really means. It is not the day that slavery was abolished. It's the day that Texas enslaved people found out that slavery had been abolished for two years. That's a very different story than, oh, the celebration of the abolition of slavery. So is it important that people are finding out about Juneteenth? Absolutely. Is it even more important that people actually educate themselves as to the reality of what Juneteenth actually means? I think so. It's those tiny little actions, small bits of investigation that do not take that long. So many people are putting out so much information. And it's also not just about information. You have to imagine. You have to stay creative. Read Black fiction writers. Look at Black art. Experience Black creativity. Don't only educate yourself on what you think knowledge is. You will learn just as much reading a story written by a Black woman as you will reading a 450-page book on abolitionist theory by a black woman. Both are important. And make sure you drink water. So I'm going to tell you some ads, but before I give you some ads, uh, I just wanted to say Wayland and Greg and I um, have been sort of going back and forth about old ball game. We really appreciate everybody um, coming around, but we will keep you updated. It's just one of those things where it, the world is happening and we're unsure. So we appreciate your patience and we're stoked that you've been on board for so long and we'll get back to you soon about it. Um, and also please, if you're looking for a place to donate this week, I'm, I'm dropping off the okra project, um, which is, again, a collective that seeks to address the global crisis faced by black trans people by bringing home-cooked, healthy, and culturally specific meals and resources to black trans people when, wherever they can reach them. Um, and just because I'm, I'm hesitant to bring trauma in, the lives of black trans women specifically, but also black trans men matter, and they matter while they're living. So please make it a guiding principle of yours to support black trans life. Not just lives lived, but black trans life. Look to see what you can do in your community, especially white queers. I'm talking to you. So we'll be back after this and I will discuss baseball. So baseball, what a week. I can barely keep up with all of it. It was a lot. Um, base, Major League Baseball is uh, still leaking information. Um, they're still using the press to negotiate, to strong-arm players. Um, there was some some leaks of owners and that's, that like six owners didn't want to play a season. So there's a lot of information out there, and if you're like me, you've been paying attention to it but you can't keep a lot of it in there. Um, so I'm, I guess at this point today on June 18th at 5.51 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I'm going to go with what Brett, bench coach Brett got together for me last night, um, which even since there's been 
more negotiation. And these aren't even negotiations. These are just proposals. Um, I think, you know, I watched like John Hayward break the news. We will have baseball 100% sure. You know, Manfred one day was saying during the day, I'm 100% sure we'll have baseball in 2020. And then later walking that back and saying, uh, I'm not sure we'll have baseball in 2020. I personally, and this is me as a, a, a host of a podcast about baseball, could give a shit. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to put it so bluntly, but after all of this, and after everything that's that's gone on in our lives as human beings, I don't know that playing baseball is the most important thing on my list. Um, and going back to normal is not something that I uh, want. I don't. I want to move forward. I want things to change, and I want them to be different, drastically and dramatically. Um. And I personally, you know, it. I'm not a professional baseball player. I'm a baseball player, but I'm not a professional baseball player. So I don't know what it's like, but it, I got to say it was, it was weird to watch these players then just go, you know, fall in line with this when and where thing. Um, and then Bryce Harper, it was funny, I guess, to watch him dress up as like a tennis player and then like, oh, what's up, Eagles? And it's just like, it speaks to this weird behavior of like, well, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I, you know, people say like, oh, billionaires fighting with millionaires. I, I'm always going to side with labor. You guys know this about me. But at the same time, I mean, we're also talking about um, an elite class of professional male athletes who have dominance over their female counterparts and uh, have more bargaining power. So it's it's all about being, you know, right side. So let's get into this 60-game plan, which is uh, sourced from ESPN. This week, uh, Major League Baseball and their commissioner, uh, Rob Manfred, and let's just, let's, let's get really specific here and make sure that, and I've talked about this before, um, Rob Manfred works for the owners. He does not work for the players or for the fans. And uh, he made their fourth proposal for a shortened season to the Players Association. The major features of this proposal are 60-game season, 16-team postseason, full prorated salaries. So, according to ESPN's Aiden Gonzalez, Alden Gonzalez, excuse me, this is a substantive or substantive order offer that perhaps for the first time makes a deal seem possible. So, this is it's a deal, it's not it's they're leaking. Likely even. The biggest reason for that, full prorated salary is a condition the union has been consistent on from the onset. Wasting time with anything else only delayed this further, created greater animosity and shrank the schedule. But here we are with the parameters for a deal that both sides can realistically work from. Uh, the restarting of negotiations was in part prompted by a statement released Saturday night by Tony Clark, the executive director of the MLB Players Association. It's time to get back to work, Clark said at the end of the, his statement. Tell us when and where. Soon after, players jumped on the quote and began a social media campaign with Lance McCullers Jr., Kevin Pillar, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Anthony Rizzo, Kike Hernandez, and many others posting on Twitter with the hashtag, hashtag when and where. Uh, that being said, the battlefield has now shifted to the number of games. During Following a four-hour negotiation in Phoenix on Tuesday between Manfred and Clark, MLB emerged believing the framework of a deal had been agreed upon. Sources said the union, however, disagreed with that accounting, and Players Wednesday said they viewed the proposed 60-game schedule as too short. Uh, 
And of course, there is still the issue of health and safety in light of news this week that several players and coaches have tested positive for COVID-19, which we will get to in just a second. I feel as though this last week has shown us that Major League Baseball and the owners within Major League Baseball do not value the players of Major League Baseball, and I would argue they do not value the product of Major League Baseball. And I would also argue on top of that, they do not love the game of baseball. This was something that was up for debate, and now I don't think it is. Major League Baseball does not care about baseball. Major League Baseball cares about making money off of baseball. And that is a done deal. I'm curious to see. I think the players today, the players union came back with a 70 game proposal. And I think that the owners want to come back to that with a 65 game. And I don't think the players are going to play anything less than a 70 game season. So I feel like this is all just for another stalemate. This is all just to see another pause and another slowdown in a, in an in an in an argument that I don't know is worth having at this point. Um, there's there's a Lakers player who uh, I mean the, I'm not fully paying attention to what's going on in the NBA. I mean it's moving forward. They're also getting technology that like rings that they can wear that will test them for COVID nineteen. Like why do we not have that technology for everyone? Why why do players of the NBA why why is that of value and not uh human life you know um I I don't understand why hospitals don't have that technology why every person on this in, the amount of money that was just like being printed the amount of money that's being laundered into the pockets of Trump loyalists and buddies and all of his friends uh, and it, people in the administration could pay for all of this sevenfold. The money is there. It's This is not about money, but it's always about money, you know? So many, there, there's a, a player on the Lakers, a couple players in the NBA essentially want to strike uh, in, in, in defense of black lives against police brutality uh, because... Essentially, if the black players strike in the NBA, you have no NBA. However, the opposite is true for the MLB. For it to be an effective strike, you would need the white players to strike. And the fact that uh, there haven't even been... I mean, it's its just today Clayton Kershaw tweeted about, to, to go back to Juneteenth, tweeted about Juneteenth and, and, and uh, uh, anti-racist action, like... Things that you did not think would happen are happening. And I don't want to be somebody that's like, not good enough. But I do think it could be better. And I do think, how do you how do you justify going back on the field, playing for a league that A, doesn't respect your talents and ability and thinks you're not worthwhile, and B, does not protect its black players and does nothing... Uh, to help them and does nothing to grow uh, black uh, players in the sport. Not, I, I don't want to say representation because that's not what it is. Uh, black involvement in the sport. It's actually receded in, in the decades since uh, Jackie Robinson. 
there's something like one black player on every team. There's one black manager in baseball. How do you explain that? That's all on that's all bootstraps? It's not. I just don't understand how anybody could want to go back to work, especially like a job that is not like, let's get very honest here. These jobs are frivolous. I, 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 my job is frivolous. <laughs> so I'm trying to find a, a good use of my time. Like at this exact moment, doing stand up at a comedy club is frivolous at this particular moment, not forever, not every day. It wasn't before, but right now there are things we could be doing like striking for justice. A huge firework just went off. I hope that you heard that. So I feel as though I'm making a good point. Um, and I'll maybe just leave that there. Uh, I, I also just think, you know, it, it, it's uh, all, all, everything is exposed. Everything that we thought on this show was real is real. And it's been proven to me in the past week. Um, I, I kind of like wish that I would have recorded this podcast on Monday because I was way more fired up then. <laughs> I tweeted at Nick Francona and he was like, bring the heat. And I'm like, am I bringing the, the heat? I got to get him back on. Um, he's a, a really wonderful dude and fighting the good fight on Twitter right now um, against baseball. Uh, so we'll get into, so several MLB players and team staff have tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, this was also, this is from USA Today. This was also leaked in the middle of these negotiations, uh, which was a convenient, convenient timing, Major League Baseball informed the players' union this past Monday that several Major League players and coaches have tested positive for COVID-19, believing it might be unsafe to start the season early, even if they soon reach an agreement in their labor dispute. The news of the positive tests and fear of a second wave of the virus wiping out the postseason, MLB Deputy Commissioner Dan Hallam says, is the primary reason they are adamant about finishing the regular season on September 27th. He vigorously denies the union's assertion that MLB is stalling to play as few regular season games as possible to save money. (laughs) Your recent letters have all expressed the concern in one form or another that players are being asked to take on extraordinary burdens and risks in the current environment, Halem said Monday in a letter to lead union attorney Bruce Meyer obtained by U.S. Today's USA Today Sports. However, the association's proposals to play as many games as possible as deep into the fall as possible increases the health risks to players and staff, which is not something we are prepared to do. So it's only convenient. They only care about it when it bites into their postseason timing, which is where they make all of their money. So that seems convenient. Um, All of this is contingent on the safety of the players. And to me, multiple players means several major league players and coaches. So that's at least two of each. But several players and coaches have tested positive. And that's unsafe. So I'm that to me, I'm unsure how does how do you have a season? <laughs> how do you play baseball when you know that people already have it? Mm, I feel like you don't. Remains to be seen. This is all just like, a, at this point, a prestige fight between um, these men's professional leagues. Um, and what's wild is there's more activism in the WNBA than maybe all of these combined. And uh, I was actually going through my camera roll because my phone is is uh, full of pictures and I cannot get them onto my laptop because now I'm a grandpa. I've aged out of the system or whatever. 
Um, and I had photos of the WNBA in, I think, probably 2014 or 15 um, when they all wore black shirts um, in response, I believe, to Trayvon Martin or at least Mike Brown. And because in our American society, we we devalue women's professional sports, women's sports um, and value men's sports so much higher Um, they're just not part of the conversation and the WNBA is actually doing right by their players by guaranteeing them, you know, a hundred percent of their pay, but they can't, you know, afford the same sort of quarantine measures that they can for the NBA. And like, to me, all of this is about realizing that, you know, we could, we could share the burden a lot more. We could all just have a little less. We could all just share what we've got. Um, in order for others to have a little bit more, you know, um, I don't think that, uh, you know, LeBron James getting a, a, a small pay cut so that, uh, I, I don't know, uh, the, the Asia Wilson can, um, can play in, in safety. I, I don't think that's something he would like turn his nose up. I don't know the guy, obviously, but who has to have it all? Why do you have to, why, why, why does one or two or the only these get to have everything? Isn't the point of life to share? Isn't the point of life to grow? You know, there's like some video, which I implore you not to share of like a Trump family singing some song in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, that uh, uh, one of the lines in the song is like, we won't have any more freedom if we give it away. And like, I'm sorry, but the definition of freedom is to give it away. You know, I can't, I just, it does not compute to me to, I only I can be free. I mean, I'm not, I don't get to determine who is free and not free. I only get to determine whether I am. You know, and that's within the constraints of laws and all these other things that other people have made up for me. But why, why don't we look for more ways to, to lighten the load, to share what we have with each other? Is this, do we care about the game or do we care about the paycheck? Do we care about the stat line or do we care about the, 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 the growth of the game? sharing it with each other. That's what I care about. So uh, we will uh, end the show on this story, um, which is Delino DeShields Jr. This is coming from MLB.com. Last week, Cleveland center fielder Delino DeShields Jr. joined Pirates first baseman Josh Bell, Orioles pitcher uh, Michael Givens, Orioles outfielder Dwight Smith Jr., Brewers outfielder Lorenzo Cain, Rangers pitcher Taylor Hearn, and Negro League's baseball museum president bob kendrick love bob what's up bob on mlb network radio to have a roundtable discussion about race and social justice in the conversation DeShield said that his father second baseman delino DeShield's senior uh and speaking of you know women's sports diamond DeShield's also tremendous tremendous athlete uh 
Delino Sr. played for 13 seasons in the MLB and now coaches for the Reds, uh, would always tell him one thing. Black Americans are born with one strike on us. Now DeShields Jr. is focused on doing whatever he can to promote racial justice. I think if you have any kind of platform and you don't say anything at all, then it's a waste of time, he said. We are here for a reason. A lot of people who don't have these platforms or don't have voices, they need somebody to speak up for them. I feel like it's my job and it should be all of our jobs to be able to speak for those who are in the dark and can't be heard at this time. DeShields also expressed regret over not taking a knee during the national anthem before a 2017 game between the A's and the Rangers, DeShields' team at the time, to raise awareness about police brutality and racial inequality. This was when the Colin Kaepernick uh, police brutality protests were happening, uh, coined anthem protests by conservatives, but let's stay on message and remember that it's about police brutality. Also, if anybody listening doesn't realize... Colin Kaepernick uh, at at first was sitting on the bench in protest during the anthem and then was uh, approached by some uh, former military and it was suggested to him to take a knee because that is the respectful way to protest uh, injustice via the military. And so it has been twisted and turned into this conversation that it is not and I find it convenient that the NFL is now suddenly supportive of Colin Kaepernick and suddenly supportive of all these things. So this is what, like what I was talking about at the beginning, it's slowing down and being able to see like, yes, of course it's very easy to see that the NFL is full of shit, but can you see other places like things that you like? Can you see when they are full of shit? That's what's really important right now. Can you build your intuition to tell when someone you like is full of shit. Not necessarily because you need to call them out, but because they might not be the best source for you. You might need to look elsewhere. You might need to find other sources. You might need to slow down and, and question, what is this thing that they're telling me? Is this because they want my money? Or is this because they're actually try- fighting for change? It's a good exercise. Uh, DeShields explained that A's catcher Bruce Maxwell gave him a call beforehand and let him know that he was going to kneel and told the Rangers outfielder not to feel any pressure to follow his lead. DeShields decided against kneeling, but said he immediately regretted it. And just, just to be fair, there is some complications in Bruce Maxwell's past. And right now I'm just keeping it to this specific uh, thing. Bruce Maxwell has essentially lost his career. His agent fought him and, He was ostracized. Um, Throughout the whole game, I kept thinking about how I felt like I was was selling out, DeShield said. It was a battle from that point point on up to this point. Maxwell coming to Texas and all the boos that I heard, it messed me up for a little bit. I'm not selling out to nobody no more. This is our people. This is our struggle. Being athletes and having young African-American kids that look up to us, we got to stand up and speak on what we know. Maybe one day it can help save somebody's life. From that moment of regret came a strong voice because of the recent protest his shields took to Twitter to express some of his personal experiences of how racism and profiling have impacted his life. And you should uh, check those out. He's uh, Lino DeShields on Twitter. Check out those threads. Um, because, you know, I think it's a good reminder. There are stories like, 
of Dave Chappelle or, or other, you know, famous black men being pulled over and the police officer recognizing them. So them getting away. And then the story being, well, I shouldn't have to be Dave Chappelle to survive being pulled over by the police. But there's also, uh, and, and I, 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 I fully support that. Um, and Dave Chappelle is a complicated person who I believe might make some changes. However, I support his fight for racial justice. Um, that I don't, you shouldn't have to be a famous, wealthy, successful person to not be killed by the police. Um, and I also think we often think, well, then if you are those things, then somehow that buys you out of your, uh, buys you into privilege and it buys you into, uh, freedom from that, from racial injustice and from racism and from pr- police brutality, but you look at somebody like Delano DeShields or Adam Jones, specifically outfielders in Major League Baseball who are standing out in the middle of a field uh, and, and, and dealing with racial epithets being thrown at them at their place of work. And so the reality is there is never an amount of money in capitalism that can buy you out of the brutality of capitalism. And that, to me, is why I don't believe in capitalism anymore. (laughs) Because its own essence is to make you believe as though if you get enough, you will be enough and you will be free. But money can't make you free. It just doesn't. In a world where money is the only thing that matters, nothing is free. You have to pay for everything. So you pay for everything. So there's just no freedom in capitalism. And then you put the specifics of American capitalism being built on the back of African slaves and the genocide of indigenous people. There's there's no real, I mean, I don't know how you argue out of that. It should also be noted that Bruce Maxwell remains the only MLB player to kneel during the national anthem, which brings me back to my earlier concept of why do these guys want to play right now while all of this is going on? You know, is it important that they play and then make statements or is it important to make a statement by not playing? Personally, I think the latter rather than the former. Uh, When he subsequently went into free agency after the 2018 season, he was not signed by any team. So any team speaking out against these things is full of shit. Additionally, he received numerous death threats and was greeted with boos at many stadiums. Maxwell now plays in Mexico's professional baseball league. Last season, he batted 325 with 24 homers and 112 RBI. His, Chris, his teammate, Chris Carter, another former A's player, hit 49 homers and drove in 119 runs, batting just in front of Maxwell as the two helped Monclova win the Mexican League championship for the first time in franchise history. So at the same time, I argue, do we focus only on men's Major League Baseball or do we seize the means of baseball and do we divest in the capitalist monolith of men's major league baseball and believe in other forms of sport and support them? Or do we keep supporting this, this 
entity that doesn't really care about us. We're at a turning point and we get to make some decisions. Um, I'm grateful for everybody that's listened to this podcast. I hope I said something that helped you in some way, shape or form. I think something to keep in mind every day is that we've all got a job to do. It might not look like what you did yesterday and it might not look like what you do tomorrow, but today is what's the most important. And so look for what you can do today to help somebody else, even if you don't see it. And just remember, patience, kindness, and compassion goes a long way. And holding space for someone else and decentering yourself, whether you are a white person or not, decentering yourself and your experience is the best way to help someone have space to be themselves. And they might not show you the kindness that you're showing them in that moment or the compassion or understanding. They might be upset and they might need to put that out into the world. And if you can be a person that can receive that, you can change somebody's life. They might just need to be heard and feel like they can say something. And you might not receive the benefit from that today, and they might not receive the benefit of that from today, but you can plant the seeds of hope and healing and understanding today. That is something that you can do today. And if you get the intuition to reach out, reach out. Take a chance. Help your friends. And just like I've been saying, you want, a, you want world peace, st- smile at the deli guy. What is that for you today? What does that mean? Build your intuition. Build your eye. Spend some time in critical thinking. Critical thinking. Critical thinking is internal. You don't have to externalize every single thing you think. So slow down. Take it easy. Keep moving. Seize the means of the day. Thanks for listening. And if you liked it, you liked it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.